So exactly one year ago today, I stood right here and I said, we're going to be starting a brand new series. I said it was going to be called Follow Me, A Fresh Look at Jesus and the Mission He Began. And the reason I told you that we were going to do this is because I said that I believe that in the course of 2,000 years, the, the church has sort of drifted off course a bit, especially the church in America. We have, we've drifted off a little bit from what Jesus' original intention was. Some of the results that led me to that conclusion came out of some studies that were done by the Barna Group back in 2007, uh, in which non-Christians were asked to describe what Christians were like. And here's what they said. 87% of non-Christians said that Christians were too judgmental. 85% of non-Christians said Christians were too hypocritical. And 75% of non-Christians said Christians were too involved in politics. And I looked at those results, and I looked at some interactions I had had with non-Christians who had said similar things to me, who had said things like, well, you know, I really like Jesus, but for some reason I feel so judged by the Christians. And that got me thinking, well, what, what's happened to have gotten us this far off course where we don't look like Jesus? See, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus wasn't accused of these things. He wasn't accused of being too judgmental. He wasn't accused of being too hypocritical or too involved in politics. Now, we know that his message was political, but it wasn't political in the same way that uh, much of American Christianity is. Jesus didn't come about trying to force his morals on people through the government. So we began this series. This is what I told you. I said, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple is to pattern your life after or to become like your teacher. So if we want to know, if we want to become like Jesus, we have to know what Jesus was like. And that launched us into a year-long series as we studied the book of Luke. We looked in depth at Jesus' teaching, we looked at his example, we looked at how he interacted with the world around him, how he taught his disciples, and we asked ourselves, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Because in our culture, we've gotten a little too sloppy with the word Christian. We, we attach the word Christian to just about everything. Christian bookstore, Christian movie, Christian music, all of these things. But really, the word Christian means Christ-like. It means little Christ. So we've taken a fresh look at Jesus. This past year, we, we dove into the Gospel of Luke. We looked at Jesus, what he was like, what he taught, what he told his disciples to do. And so now it's time to close the, the first chapter of Follow Me. We've, took, we've taken a fresh look at Jesus, and now we're going to take a fresh look at the movement he began. A movement that we call the church. Which leads to a question. Why study the early church? Why should we spend time studying the early church? And here's why. Because in less than 30 years... This relatively small group of people in this relatively obscure part of the world, uh, gl globally speaking, was able to, to take this movement that began with just a small group of people and it spread across the Roman Empire like wildfire in less than 30 years. Now, it wasn't always smooth sailing. This group had, had some struggles. They had some growing pains. They had to figure out how to live into this new mission that Jesus had called them when he wasn't there with them physically. But I believe that if it happened once, it can happen again. I believe that if we recapture and reclaim the mission of Jesus in the church, we can have the same kind of world-changing impact that the early church had 2,000 years ago. So that's why we're going to study the early church. And our guide is going to be the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Now we could call Acts Luke volume 2. 
Luke Volume 2. We've been studying the book of Luke. It's the story of Jesus' life told to us. Uh, and we could call the book of Acts Luke Volume 2. And here's why. Because Luke and Acts together make a two-volume history of Jesus and the early church. Luke tells us, the Gospel of Luke tells us the story of Jesus' life, tells us what he did while he was here presently on earth, what he taught, what he wanted his disciples to do. And then Acts picks up that story with the, the early church and how they carried out the mission that Jesus left for them. So the question I know that you're all asking is, well, how do we know that they were both written by the same person? How do we know that both Luke and Acts were written by the same person? They're, they're anonymous in our Bible, right? It, it doesn't say, you know, Luke didn't sign his name. It doesn't say, this is from Luke. So how do we know that both books are written by the same person? I'm so glad you asked. You knew I was going to say that. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. I'll put the text up here on the screen. And I'm going to explain to you, this is going to get a little bit nerdy. But, you know, it's me, so what do you expect? Um, I know some of you like the nerdy stuff. Uh, others of you, just bear with me. We'll get to some uh, application stuff a little bit later. So here's how we know that, that both Luke and Acts were written by the same person. Here's how the book of Acts begins. He says, in my former book... Okay, so there's a clue, right? The, the writer of Acts tells us that there's a former book. Uh, he goes on, in my former book, Theophilus, which that's a word that we don't see very often, right? Theophilus. I'll talk about that in a little bit. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds a little bit like the Gospel of Luke, doesn't it? The Gospel of Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. So it's starting to sound a little bit familiar. He goes on to say, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that's how the book of Acts begins. Now we're going to jump back to the beginning of Luke, and I'm going to show you how Luke began. You may remember this, you may not. Luke begins this way. The writer says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He goes on. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So we see that both of these books are addressed to the same Theophilus. Right? Basically, in the Gospel of Luke, the writer tells us, that he investigated the claims of Jesus. There were lots of stories of Jesus going around. And so this particular writer took it upon himself to investigate carefully, to interview the eyewitnesses, and come up with an orderly account of Jesus' life. And he addresses his first book to Theophilus. Now, scholars debate who exactly Theophilus was. In Greek, the word means beloved of God. Beloved of God. So uh, some scholars think this was actually a person's name, Theophilus. He was writing perhaps to a wealthy benefactor who was a supporter of the church. And so he was, you know, he was commissioned to write this history. Others think that perhaps Theophilus is an honorific title for maybe a high-ranking official in, in the Roman government in, in order to appease the Roman government so they would maybe stop persecuting the church. Others think Theophilus is just a, a, a nice name for the church in general because all of us as, as followers of Jesus are beloved of God, right? So we don't know exactly who Theophilus was, but we know that both of these books, Luke and Acts, were addressed to Theophilus. So Luke is the story of Jesus' life. Acts is the story of the church after Jesus' ascension. Two books by the same author, um, but I just want to solidify my case here, okay? Um, in the beginning of... 
Acts, this is what the, the author says. He said, I began to write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the writer of Acts tells us how he ended his first book. He says he ended his first book by talking about the ascension of Jesus and the instruction that Jesus gave to his apostles before he left. So now we're going to jump back to the book of Luke, to the very end, and we're going to see how the book of Luke ends. Luke chapter 24. He told them, this is Jesus speaking, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So the end of Luke tells us... Oh, sorry. Jesus goes on. He says, You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but you stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus gives instructions to his disciples. This sounds a lot like until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So we have two books addressed to the same Theophilus about the subjects, and the first book ends in the very same way that the second book said the first book ends. So we can be reasonably confident that both Acts and Luke were written by the same person as a two-volume history. Good? Okay, I know that's nerdy, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, this is, we're talking about history here, right? In, in your Bibles, Luke, the Acts doesn't follow Luke, they're separated. So you have to imagine, they didn't have bound Bibles until like the 4th century. People didn't bring their, their bound Bibles with them to their church meetings. They were, they were on big scrolls or books, and often they were kept, you know, separate. So somebody may have had a document... Uh, and it started out, I investigated everything, Theophilus, about the story of Jesus, and then they discovered another one and says in my first book, and they're like, oh, maybe these two things go together because they didn't have the luxury of carrying around the entire Bible in one book. That didn't happen for a long, long time. So now the question becomes, how do we know who wrote these books? How do we know who, who the author was? We call it Luke, but nowhere in the Gospel of Luke, nowhere in Acts does it actually say I, Luke, wrote these books. So we have to go back to look at early church history. And the early church historians tell us that these books were written by Luke. And I'm going to explain to you why. In, in tradition, the tradition was handed down that these two books were written by a man named Luke, who was a Gentile physician, a Gentile doctor, who eventually came to place his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so, we know that Luke was a companion of Paul. We know that because of Paul's letters. Paul was the guy who started out as a Pharisee, right? He persecuted the church. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, turned his entire life around, and became the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. Planted churches throughout the entire Mediterranean basin, wrote about half the New Testament, that, that Paul. Uh, and Paul tells us in one of his letters that he was accompanied by a physician named Luke. In Colossians Uh, Chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says to the Colossians, he says, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. So there was this person named Luke, he was a doctor, and he accompanied Paul on some of Paul's journeys. This is important, I'm going to show you why. Uh, A little bit later, in another letter, in his second letter to the young man, young teacher named Timothy, Paul says this. He writes to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come quickly, for Demas... uh, 
because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. So in Colossians, Paul writes and says, Luke and Demas are with me. Later on in Paul's life, he says, Demas has loved the world, he abandoned Paul. But he goes on to say, um, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, uh, only Luke is with me. So while all of these other people are abandoning Paul when things are getting tough and, and Paul is in prison and, and uh, facing persecution, Luke, this, this doctor, sticks around with Paul. He sticks and supports Paul through this whole thing. Uh, then he says to Timothy, get Mark, bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So all of these people that we never really pay that much attention to when we're reading through the New Testament, we're like, oh, okay, Paul had people with him. Well, one of those people with him was a doctor named Luke. And this is the same person that we believe wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And, and um, so here's why this is so important. Because as we read through Acts, you're going to come across certain sections that change from third person to first person. Right? Third person is he did this, she did this, they did this, talking about other people. First person is I did this. We did this. If I'm talking in first person, you know that I was a part of that experience, right? If I said they went to the baseball game, you know I'm reporting what somebody else said. But if I say that we went to the baseball game, you know you're getting eyewitness accounts of what happened. So we already know that Luke is a good historian. We know that he's good at interviewing eyewitnesses. But as we read through the book of Acts, you're going to notice there are certain sections where the pronouns switch from third person They did this, he did this, to first person. We did this. In other words, there are certain sections in the book of Acts in which the writer was actually present, and we believe the writer to be Luke, this physician, based on some of the language that he uses. This is a really big deal. That means as we read through this history of the early church, we are getting first person eyewitness accounts of what really happened. If you're a historian, first person eyewitness accounts are incredibly important. That's what we have here in our New Testament in the book of Acts. Not only is it good history, good investigative history where he interviews people who were there, but for some of these events, Luke was actually there. We have eyewitness accounts of what happened. This is a really, really big deal. At least it is to me because I'm a nerd. Okay, I love the history. But what this means to me is that we can trust the documents that we have in the New Testament. We can trust that Luke did his investigative work, and we can trust that he was there, that what he said was true. So with that in mind, I want to go back now to the beginning of Acts chapter 1, and I want to work through the first nine verses as we move into this new movement that Jesus began called the church. So Luke or Acts chapter 1, we'll go back to verses 1 and 2, and we'll work through the first nine verses. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all, the, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He goes on, after his suffering, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, I've got a question for you. What would it take to convince a doctor that somebody had really come back from the dead? Right? I mean, it's, you know, medicine then wasn't as good as medicine now, but even then, doctors knew that when somebody died, they generally stayed dead. That was pretty common knowledge. And so we have this Gentile physician 
named Luke who comes to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead because there were a lot of people who saw him. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, enough that Luke, who wasn't even there, talking to the eyewitnesses, came to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. This gives credence to the fact that what we believe about the resurrection is historically true, that Jesus really did come back from the dead physically. And how did he do this? He appeared to them for a period of over 40 days, and he spoke about what he had always spoken about, the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive with many convincing proofs, and he taught his disciples once again about the kingdom of God after he was raised from the dead. Luke goes on. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, with his disciples, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying something's about to happen. Wait here for a few days because you're going to be given power. We saw that at the end of Luke. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them for his departure. He's getting them ready to carry on the mission that he's going to give them. We read in Matthew chapter 28, he told them that their their commission was to go and make disciples from all nations. So he's once again preparing them, saying, wait here. He's preparing them that, that he's not going to be there any longer. But, as usual, his disciples don't get it. He, he's, he's sharing them. He's excited. He said, wait here. You're going to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Things are going to be great. And they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? At which point, I just imagine Jesus going, <sighs> right? They, all along, they had, been, when they had been expecting the Messiah to come and establish this, this kingdom on earth, or this political military kingdom where he's going to overthrow Rome and sit on the throne and release uh, Israel from its captive. And so, the, you know, they're thinking, okay, he, he died. We thought it was over. Now he's back. Now, at this time, he's finally going to do what we've expected him to do all along. Except all along, he's been dropping hints and clues that it was never going to be the way that they expected it to be. That he was going to work in a different way. Uh, So Jesus responds to them. He said, oh my goodness, guys, I can't believe you still don't get it. You're all fired. I'm just going to do this myself. You know better than that. That's not what he says. He patiently redirects them and he says, guys, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He says, just stop, stop worrying about that already, will you? We, we've been over that. It's not going to happen the way that you thought it was going to happen. God's got that. You don't worry about it. Here's what I want you to focus on. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know you guys are, you have this idea in mind that we're supposed to rule politically, we're supposed to have this political kingdom and power. Just, just set that aside, okay? We've been over this before. That's not, what we're, that's not what's going on. God's got that. You let God take care of that in his own time. In the meantime, I have work for you to do, Jesus says. Jesus says, you are going to receive power. And as we can see, they needed it, Right? 
They didn't get it on their own. <laughs> they, 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 they continually misunderstood. But Jesus says, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to empower you. And what is He going to empower you to do? Rise up with swords and take over the government? No. He says, I'm going, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be witnesses for me. Witnesses for me. Now, what do witnesses do? Witnesses share what they've seen and heard, right? If you're called as a witness in a trial, you share what you've seen and heard. These guys, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out. You are going to bear witness to me. You're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to share the good news about who I am and what I came to do with the rest of the world. And this is a really big deal, right? He says, you're going to be witnesses to me. And he says, in Jerusalem. At which point they would have said, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Jerusalem, good. We, we know Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. You know, we're, we're Jews, so we're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. That makes a lot of sense. But he didn't stop talking there. He says, and in Judea. And they're like, well, okay. I mean, you are from Galilee. We're from Galilee. Judea is outside Jerusalem. You know, it's still kind of Jewish. We can be witnesses in, in Judea as well. Like, okay, well, this, this kind of makes sense. And Jesus goes on and says, and Samaria, at which point, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, hold on a second. We don't like the Samaritans, remember? They're, they're those, those half-breeds, we don't want anything to do with them, remember? The Samaritans, when we, when we hear their name, we go, right? Those, those Samaritans that we've talked about before, Wait, you, you want us to be witnesses in Samaria? No, 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 no. But Jesus doesn't even stop there, does he? He says, and to the ends of the earth. At which point they went, right? Because for them, the kingdom had always been only about Israel and liberating Israel. Now, God's plan from the very beginning had always been global. It had always been for the whole world. When God called Abraham, he told Abraham that his people would be a light to the world. But the Jews became so inwardly focused that they missed it over and over. They started only thinking about themselves and and their nation and their way of doing things. They had lost sight of the global mission. So now Jesus had been dropping hints all along. In his interactions, his story about the Good Samaritan and his interaction with with, uh, non-Jews, he's been dropping hints, but now he comes out right out of the gate. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. And not only here, not only to the people who are like you, not only to to your fellow insiders, but you're going to be witnesses to the entire world. All of those people that you thought were enemies before, no, you are now, they're your mission field. They're the ones that I want you to go tell about who I am and what I've done. From this point forward, your mission is going to be bringing people who are far from God, not just Jews who don't understand me, but all people in all places back to relationship with God through the good news of what I've told you. This was revolutionary to Jesus' apostles. They never saw this coming. This was huge not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not even just Samaria, which is kind of like half, half-breed Jews, but, but the entire world, those dirty, stinking, rotten Gentiles, including those Romans who are oppressing us, I want you to go share my good news with them. Right? This 
was revolutionary for them to hear. And so at this point, I can only imagine them thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus, this is really different. This is really interesting. Can you, can you tell us how this is going to work? Can you explain to us how we're supposed to do this? What about you know, the, the, the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and all of the laws and the dietary things and, and circumcision? How are we supposed to make this work with the rest? Jesus, help us understand how this is going to work. And this is how Jesus responds. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is funny, guys. This is, I mean, the, the, this, the, this revolutionary news. Jesus says, you are going to be witnesses to the entire world. And then he's gone. No instructions, right? No blueprints. No, no step-by-step manual how this was supposed to happen. He just says, this is what I want you to do. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to teach you. See you later. I got a date with my dad. Can, I mean, can you imagine be, that these disciples, that these apostles standing here, hearing this earth-shattering news for them, that they're supposed to be witnesses in the entire world, and then he's just gone? How, how, how many questions they would have had, how dumbfounded they would have been, like, but, but, but Jesus, Jesus, but, but, but uh, how are we going to, but how are we supposed to, but what about, but, and he's gone. And they're left just wondering what comes next. So, in the spirit of a cliffhanger, this is where we're going to pick up next week. I don't want you to miss it. So come back next week. Uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. They're going to lead us in one final song. After the song is over, if anybody has any prayer requests or any prayer needs, while everyone else is getting food ready, you can come up to the front. Uh, Me and Jenny and anybody else who would like to help pray for people can meet up front, and we'll pray together uh, for anybody who has prayer needs after the song. But let me say a prayer. Lord, we thank you for new things. We thank you for the way that you are surprising us and challenging us and stretching us. God, we know that we are here today because 2,000 years ago, people took seriously the command to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. God, 2,000 years ago, you launched a new movement called the church. And this church took over the world without swinging a sword. It changed the world through love and the proclamation of good news through service to the poor, through taking care of widows and orphans, through loving neighbors and loving enemies. Father, you've done it once before, and I believe you can do it again. So help us, God, to be a people that that listens, that takes seriously the fact that you have chosen to partner with us in ministry. Help us to be faithful witnesses of your good news. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.